0: Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Carrie Drake. Carrie is a professional television writer known for Netflix's Lost in Space and Netflix's Dark Crystal, among many others. Carrie. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Court, thanks so much for having me.
0: Excited to to finally have you on the show. Um, Tell us, where are you in the world right now?
1: I am in the freezing North Pole of sunny Southern California. I am an official weather wimp, so I'm very glad to be here right now in the beginning of January.
0: What defines winter or cold or freezing cold in LA?
1: I would say that cold is anything below 70 degrees. And freezing is anything below sixty-five. As a test to people who move here from other colder climates, they also become weather whims. And I've heard many times that people are now freezing officially at sixty degrees. Although, don't <laughs> quote me.
0: Out here, you know, we won't wear a sweater at sixty, but maybe out there.
1: You know, I was in New York on a show uh, on set, and I remember my last day. It was negative four outside. And I had all the things on, and I still <laughs> thought I might die as I was running from my hotel to a pub to meet, uh, to meet up with a friend.
0: <laughs> yeah. And where are you from originally? Are you from the West Coast? Or?
1: Originally, I'm from the West Coast. Originally, I'm from Long Beach, uh, Southern California.
0: Tell us, you know, I went through the projects that you're currently working Are you currently working on the, both of those Netflix shows, or are those your most recent projects?
1: So I just wrapped for season two of Lost in Space. I don't think we'll be starting up again until uh, later in 2019. You know, all depends on, you know, Netflix uh, and uh, Legendary. And if we get picked up again, fingers crossed. But other than that, yes, I will be working on other things.
0: And tell us, in your words, you know, I described you as a professional television writer. How do you self-identify? Is that pretty accurate or?
1: Well, I would, no, I think that's pretty accurate. I'm a television writer by trade, science fiction, fantasy writer, and, you know, in terms of writing other things, definitely would love to branch out into the wide world of feature writing. Um, But right now I'm a television writer.
0: Netflix, Lost in Space, Dark Crystal, these are big titles for a big company. How does one get to that point as a professional writer? Do you want to just walk us through, you know, your career, how you came from Long Beach to LA and got to this point?
1: Yeah, I would love to. You know, I think that there's no one way to skin a cat. So I'd love to share with you my story. It doesn't mean it's the only way. There's so many ways, which I think is both terrifying and relieving in some ways. But for me, I think it kind of all started when I said to my mom at five, I wanted to play the piano. And uh, she said, yeah, let's let's have you play the piano. My grandfather was a concert pianist, and I thought that would be a, a really awesome thing to do. And uh, at five, you know, I imagined myself on stage performing like a concert pianist would until you cut to, you know, me having to practice for an hour. And that was like a real cramp on my style. And I was so bummed and I didn't want to play anymore uh, as soon as I had to practice. And so I would go and my mom would, you know, set the timer for an hour and I would have to play and uh, she'd set it on the microwave. So my plan was I devised a sneaky plan what if I only had to play for 50 minutes? Or what if I only had to play for 45 minutes? So I ran to uh, the kitchen when no one was looking from the living room, and I would reset the timer. I was careful at first, you know, take off two minutes, take off three minutes. I should also probably count the minute that I wasn't, uh, you know, playing and having to reset the timer. But um, ultimately, I got cocky. And I started taking off five minutes, seven (laughs) minutes. And uh, of course I got caught, right? And right now you're probably wondering why I'm talking about playing the piano, but I'll tell you in a minute. It's because when I got caught and I got busted for cheating at playing the piano, I was not allowed to watch Saturday morning cartoons anymore. And so uh, for a month, or I think it was two months, anyway, that blew my mind as a five-year-old. And so I started writing uh, stories. I started writing little picture stories. So I would draw. And write, and then I'd staple, you know, these papers that I'd cut out together and make a whole little story. And uh, I think that was like the first launching of the love of telling stories for me. So I moved from that. Obviously, didn't stay uh, doing that, but it, it translated into art and storyboard. So I come from the world of storyboarding. I wasn't a writer to begin with, um, and I was, you know, as a young person, always I was reading anything I could get my hands on that was fantasy or science fiction, like Heinlein or Tolkien or Orwell, even some Jack London, um, C.S. Lewis, Margaret Atwood. And I loved big worlds with awesome, compelling characters. But I loved big worlds with awesome characters, compelling characters. And so I thought originally that I wanted to draw those worlds and draw those characters. So I went to art school and I studied in Florence and I went to the animators union. Anytime I could get hands-on training from professionals, and it was really awesome because I found myself falling in love with drawing people. And that wasn't necessarily what I thought I would want to be doing. You know, you think about designing cool ships, and I definitely loved creating monsters or characters, but I always loved drawing faces and the expressions in people's eyes. And I think it made me realize hey, I love. I love talking about people and emotions and, you know, characters interacting. And so that's how I sort of transitioned into the world of writing stories. And I remember I was on set one day, I was a storyboard artist on Deadwood, which was so mega awesome, you know, walking around a set that was two blocks wide, two blocks deep of the old West. You really think, you know, you really think you transported back into the 1800s. And, um, I remember, One of the PAs coming out of Milch's um, cabin—you know—they were all temporary offices on Gene Autry's old ranch—but running out with updated pages. And I had been meeting with one of the directors uh, to talk about, you know, whether it was Bullock being scalped or someone burning on a pyre. But the point is, I remember this PA walking out, and he was holding, you know, sort of this magic in his hands. It was the story, and it sort of dawned on me: Oh, I'm drawing other people's stories, but I'm not. Creating the story myself, right? And so I think that was like a big transition for me. And I, I decided, hey, it's time for me to learn how to become a television writer, and it's time for me to get involved in the business. So I gave up a really nice, lucrative storyboarding career and became um, a writer's assistant. I became a first. I was an assistant on a literary desk, and then worked my way up into becoming a writer's assistant and then um, a staff writer.
0: And how specifically did you get to the point of writing for Lost in Space? How did that happen? That's yeah. an
1: interesting story. So <laughs> I think so. I had just come off a show, and I was looking for you know uh, new work, and my I was about to start another show, which will remain nameless. It was a very cool show, but I had read uh, a friend of mine who had worked with before. She was like, "Hey, you should read this pilot for Lost in Space. You should you should really just read this." And I was like, "Okay, I mean that's thanks, but you know I'm kind of starting a new job tomorrow, and so I." you know, I'll read it, whatever. But, you know, I can't, I can't obviously like take that job. So I was reading it on the way home from vacation with some friends and my husband, because it was kind of like the last hurrah, you know, but before I started a new job, and I was reading it on the way home. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. Because to me, um, what Matt and Burke did in that pilot was create an incredible world with an incredible sense of adventure, but also created characters that I was interested in and I felt compelling and you know it was a real action adventure sort of in the, that sort of Spielbergian way though you know the movies that you know I loved watching growing up like ET and you know Raiders and things like that so I called my manager and my agents and I said I know this sounds crazy but I really like this pilot like I really think it's amazing you know when I'm sure that people experience this a lot. But you read lots of things in this business, good things, great things. And there's a moment where you, you read something that's so original and so exciting that you're like, I really want to be a part of that. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I really want to be a part of that. So I called them up and said, Hey, how can I do this? And they're like, Well, you can meet with the showrunner, Zach Estrin. And I met with him and immediately thought that he was an incredible person um, who has, who's not only talented, but an incredible leader, which I feel like could be a whole nother podcast about what it is to be a good showrunner and how you do that. But anyway, long story short, we had a great meeting and he was like, Hey, so we'd love to maybe, you know, continue talking. You'd have to meet with Netflix and legendary and Matt and Burke, the creators, you know, it's quite a process. It's not, you know, sometimes people think I just meet with one person, but in TV writing, you have to get cleared by, you know, multiple different entities, whether it's the showrunner and, you know, The studio network production company. So I said, okay, great. So I called up my agents and I said, hey, you guys, I can't start work tomorrow. And (laughs) they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I know this is crazy. I've never, ever done this before, but I really have to follow my heart. And I really, really love this show. And it feels like it ticks all the boxes for me in terms of like, you know, it's got the science fiction nerd qualities, the adventure, like really great character storytelling. And so I want to take a big risk and say, how do I get to be a part of this show? And they're like, well, just so you know, like this there's no like done deal. Like I think Netflix at the time was still working on the Lost in Space deal for everyone, you know, on the higher up level. And so they were like, just no, you're turning down like a real like job with money for like thin air. <laughs> I was like, I get it. No, I totally get it, but I really feel like this is something that I want to be a part of. So I didn't know how it was gonna go, but it was a waiting game. And about two and a half, three months later, um was my first day on uh, in the writer's room of Lost in Space. So that was really exciting.
0: Transitioning from there, usually we frame our episodes around specific themes. Would you be down to school us on the art of TV writing? And if so, would it be cool to use Lost in Space as an example of kind of what that process looked like?
1: Sure. Absolutely. In fact I feel like Lost in Space is a really it was a really wonderful experience and it's always been a great show. And so I would love to use that as an example. And and yes, I'd love to talk about television writing because it's kind of unique, right? I think a lot of times people think of writers as solitary beasts and, uh, people who are, you know, writing their jammies at home uh, (laughs) in their coffee, which I'm sure there are a lot of writers that do that. But in television, I kind of think of it as group think, make believe, you know, you're writing with a group of people and it's not just On your own. And I think that can both be relieving and also um, anxiety provoking, especially for the introverts of the world, you know, who are venturing out into TV writing. I think of myself as extroverted introvert. So oftentimes, I both love people, but get filled up by quiet time and space. So sometimes even I can, you know, want to figure out how the best way to maneuver in a writer's room is. But yes, I'd love to talk to you about it. So
0: amazing. You actually already answered My first question, which was, at what point did you get brought onto the gig? Once you get involved in the writer's room, where was uh, Lost in Space at at that point? Were there other episodes written? What was the strategy for even starting the whole process? Yeah,
1: so usually as a whole, and I can speak specifically, you know, to all the shows that I've been on, but usually a show will get greenlit um, because of a pilot script, whether it's been shot or not, and it will most likely get picked up to series because the creator's and or showrunner or both of the a combo of both of those have gone into a studio network and pitched out, hey, here's sort of the rough turns of the series. Here's what we think we want to have happen. Here are the characters, especially with a show like Lost in Space. You know, we have the family already set. We know who those characters are in terms of, you know, being, a, you know, parents, children, We've got a Dr. Smith, an antagonist, protagonists, and they'll flesh those out. So usually what happens, I would say on almost every show I've been on, You'll sit down in the writer's room the first week and sort of talk, um, pie in the sky, blue skies about general ideas, but they'll say, here's what we've discussed, you know, in sort of an incubator, but we want you writers. Cause usually there's a head writer called a showrunner and then it'll go down the line to anywhere between, I think the smallest room I've been in is seven writers. And the biggest room I've ever been in is 14 writers. We'll sit there, you know, around a table or sometimes on couches and say, Hey, here's what we have pitched, but nothing is set in stone. So let's talk about these as touchstones or anchor points. And from there, let's like jump in and create this world. And I think one of the really great things that we've done on Lost in Space and on other shows I've been on, is you sit down that first week and talk about things you're inspired by. So there was a lot of mention of like, Hey, we're inspired by James Cameron. Hey, we love Alien. Hey, we love Jurassic Park. For me in particular, David Keps original Jurassic Park script was one of my favorite scripts you know that i've ever read and so how can we incorporate the things that we love into this show while still sort of keeping the magic of the original i think one of the really interesting things that we talked about as being groundbreaking on the original lost in space tv series in the 60s was that it was groundbreaking in the sense that no one had ever sort of gone out to space in tv before and those characters had to actually go outside their spaceship i think in the pilot you know and they were on on wires that were painted out, but that kind of awed the audience. And so we wanted to capture that sort of awe and wonder in the scope of our storytelling, um, but also make sure that at the heart of our story, we're always talking about the characters and their relationships. So in terms of the first two weeks, it's big, broad strokes. Hey, what's our season going to look like? What's our series arc? What do we want to keep coming back to with our characters? The questions like
0: that. And at what point do you break that down from the series arc or the season arc and start diving into, okay, well, this is where the episode two arc is, the episode three, like w- at what point are you kind of breaking it down further?
1: It was really cool. Um, Matt and Burke, having come from uh, the feature world, kind of wanted to break down first season as a 10-hour movie. So if you oh, think wow. about episodes one, two, and three being the first act, four, five, six, and seven in 8 probably being act 2 and then 9 and 10 being act 3 structurally that's how we broke it down we've done that in other writers rooms as well and then on top of that we'd say hey here's where the turn is here's where we want to see you know obviously in in season 1 of lost in space we can talk about hey we're on a planet we're stuck here and we want to get off so what are the difficulties and how do how do we get off and how are the turns so by the end of episodes i think 1 through 3 I hope I'm I'm getting this right. (sighs) But one through three is, um, we're just the Robinsons. We're by ourselves. We're isolated. And our goal is to figure out if anyone else is out there. And in episode two, we think we've seen evidence of survivors, so we're going to journey out and experience the world for the first time, right? So our world sort of opening up. We're understanding character conflicts. We get out that maybe there's more to meet the eye with Judy and her dad and their relationship. We get out that obviously mom and dad are not in good territory, they're not getting along and they're separated. There's unease there. And also, uh, by the end of episode of the pilot, there was this giant robot that came out of nowhere. And in episode two, Will learns a secret that maybe that robot was responsible for the crash that, you know, they're, they're not having to survive. And what does that mean? And is he always going to be friendly and is he not? So those are ways that we sort of, you know, move the story. And then I think just to jump forward in episode eight, Episode eight was our big end of act two turn where we think we're going to get off the planet. We've managed to get a spaceship, you know, back up into space, but it blows up because of Dr. Smith and something that she did. And so just when we think we've gotten, we've reached our goal, everything, you know, everything is lost. Um, and we have to start all over again and moving into our act three things couldn't get worse. Right. Which is sort of, I think you know a pretty usual place to be at the beginning of Act Three, at the very bottom again. And then I think you know the other things that we talked about in terms of season long is you know what's our story? Our plot story is we want to get off this planet, but our interpersonal story is well we're better together, and we're learning that as we go, right? And I think specifically one of the the big arcs was uh, for John to realize, hey, I need my family just as much as they need me. And I think another big arc that we talked about season long for specifically Maureen was, hey, Maureen has to learn how to let go of Will, that he can handle things on his own, you know, because she cheated to get him aboard the Resolute, spoiler alert, Uh, (laughs) because she cheated to get him aboard the Resolute, and she's not sure that he can actually make it out here. Having this big giant robot to walk beside him is a huge relief to her. Whereas John's saying, no, we don't know any, as a military man, we don't know anything about this thing. It looks like it could be a weapon. We don't know. We shouldn't trust it. And so it's really great when you have characters who have different goals and different wants um, that are all working at cross purposes together, right? Because that creates drama.
0: And what's the dynamic like in a writer's room? I imagine that there's a lot of different voices, a lot of different characters What are those different voices and where do you fit into that dynamic?
1: That's a great question. I would say a writer's room, although a perfect writer's room operates like a democracy, it really is. It's a bit of a kingdom in that the showrunner is the king or queen, right? They're at the top and there's a hierarchy of writers. So it goes from staff writer being at the bottom, baby writer, right? Just learning new to the room, staff writer Um, story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, producer, supervising producer, co-EP, and then showrunner. And those various titles, all they mean is you have different levels of experience, right? And so oftentimes if showrunner says, Hey guys, I want you to help me roll X story ball up the hill. I'm going to go take a bunch of meetings that I have to do for production or whatever. And when I come back, let's talk about what you've come up with, right? They're depending on you to come up with the story. But also if they say, I want you to roll a basketball up the hill while I'm gone. And then when they're gone and you say, Hey, I really want to roll a soccer ball up the hill. That's not helping the story. I guess what I'm getting at is you're a team player, be a team player, especially when you're starting out as a young writer, pitch into something that's already being worked on. Don't say, Hey, you know, those characters, I know they were supposed to like get stuck in the ice, but let's just have them on a desert instead." You know I'm just really feeling like a desert would be cool. That's not helpful because everybody wants to help build this thing together now, if you're having trouble like in a plot point or the writer's room's stuck and there's a silence right, and you want to think outside the box, there's a great way to do it, and it's using inclusive language like hey guys, what if or hey, I'm just wondering, what do you think about blah blah blah, or I saw this thing the other night and it made me think x, and then you can get into your pitch, and suddenly there's an opening, you know, to take a right or left turn, depending on where the story is going. But I think it's really important to remember to be respectful of your peers. You're not writing by yourself, you're writing in a group. And people who you hang out with for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, you want to make people feel welcomed, you don't want to make people feel, you don't want to put people down for their ideas. I think really what's exciting to me in a writer's room is that it's like you're building a cake, right? You're all building a cake. You lay the foundation, you get to build the cake itself, it bakes, then you put the icing on and it, you know, you're doing this together. And so it goes faster and it goes, it's so much easier when you've got a great brain who's maybe really, um, scientifically oriented, or you've got a really great character writer, or you've got a really great nerd writer. And all together, those people are creating the story and you're helping each other versus, Hey, I wish I want to have all the good ideas. I think when you get stuck in, I've got to have the best idea land instead of listening to your coworkers and then being able to come with ideas based on building that block or building that cake or rolling that ball up the hill. It's so much easier and it's so much more collaborative.
0: Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience Podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com writerexperience writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now back to the show. You mentioned briefly character creation. Walk us through what character creation is like and world building as well. I imagine these are things that you're working on earlier on, but I imagine they're also evolving over the course of all the episodes as well.
1: Totally. Um, One of the cool things that we do in a writer's room is we'll create a board, you know, it can be a whiteboard um, and we'll kind of create a grid. So we'll go down the line and, um, you know, on the first row going down uh, or column, excuse me, on the column going down, it'll be all the characters' names. And then across is each episode, right? And you'll create a grid and we'll talk about, you know, how we want those characters to arc and change. And so I think finding that what's that big arc, you know, over a whole season long, uh, for that character, what they need to learn, you know, what their need versus their want is, um, is really important. Hey, I think that they, they want this thing, right. But what they really need is X. And usually those two work as counterpoints to each other. That's a great way to sort of develop a character. And then I think, um, you kind of find the magic along the way, you know, in the storytelling, thinking of like a particular moment in Lost in Space, where dad thinks he's in control. And it's in episode five, uh, John, you know, feels like he, you know, the weight of the survival of the colony is on him, and his son has kept a huge secret from him. And it's at a moment where he's been estranged from his family, and he's finally reconnecting with his kid, except his kid, Will, Is keeping this huge secret from him and feeling like he's telling lies. And so when one character thinks they're getting closer to another character, and then the other character is feeling strained and pulled, like that's sort of delicious drama. And then at the end, when we reveal that Will um, has hidden the robot, and the robot actually comes back at the last moment to save the day, not only is a new truth revealed that this family was keeping this robot a secret— but also, that, like, this robot is pretty big and strong and powerful and like, can protect Will in ways that his dad can't, and his dad wants to be that in his life. And so how does that propel you know, the middle of the second act moving forward? And what kind of relationship are this father and son going to have you know, moving forward?
0: And then as far as um, writing for an established IP, how does that differ than writing for an original show?
1: Um, you know, it's nice to have an established IP in the sense that there are Tent poles and guides to go with. And I would say that the challenge of creating totally original content is you really have to hone. I always think of it as, you know, from my painting background, I I feel like it's a limited color palette. You know, when you're creating with colors that complement each other or, you know, really creating focus, that's what helps a painting to pop. And so when you're creating original content, you really have to make sure that you don't throw everything in the kitchen sink in, but that you really sort of stay on target uh, with the goal of the characters that you want to create and the genre that you're creating in, right? I was even thinking about uh, watching Killing Eve the other day. And it's such a fantastic show. And I think it's um, both tongue-in-cheek and also thriller. And I'm sure that they worked a really long time on the tone of that show. In fact, we worked with one of the directors um, in season two who worked on on season one, and he was talking about the specificity of that tone. And I think that's what makes that show so delicious and fun. And so that's great for an original. And it, you know, it's also really important to know for an existing IP like Lost in Space what we want it to be, you know? And um, the tent poles that we sort of used or the touchstones that we used were always sort of family action adventure. So yes, like we're going to have uh really compelling, maybe even nail-biting action, but we're probably going to, you know, not see like a Breaking Bad moment where someone gets shot in the face like five times, <laughs> you know? I say... Both in creating our original content and IP know your genre, know your tone, but also it's really nice to have that sort of backbone already laid in existing
0: IP Let's walk through let's break it down specifically uh, in regards to an actual episode itself the script. I mean everybody knows about film scripts. How does the TV script differ from whether it's format or whether it's you know the process of writing it from a film script?
1: You know it's so interesting um, that you ask because I feel like especially with the advent of the Netflix and the Amazons and the Hulus of the world, um, TV shows are becoming more mini movies or, you know, hour long movies in sort of scope and structure. But I would say early on in, in my TV career, you know, working for the network, it's very much about act breaks. You know, we've got five acts because we've got to have specific, you know, commercial breaks. And so you would build to that act out. The concept being that you would, you know, That first mini act would have to have sort of a a thrilling act out so that people would come back from that commercial, come back from doing laundry or, you know, their refrigerator. Um, The other thing that we sort of talk about in the TV business is TV (sighs) watching for the viewer is a sort of passive activity. You know, you're not in a theater where it's all dark and you have no option but to sit there and watch the movie, right? You can text people, you can, you know, do your laundry, you can make a sandwich and also watch television or talk to your friends and also watch television. And so the idea is how can we create a story that's so compelling that you want to watch it and you want to keep watching it, even though there's a break. So because I think of the advent of, you know, streaming in the dark crystal, both and um, uh, also worked on a couple other Netflix shows, but none of these shows have act breaks in the sense that you're breaking for, you know, commercial breaks. So we create sort of a, more um three-act structure now i think um in terms of the model of how you're writing so it's a three-act structure here's act one act two act three and how do we you know craft that story within that time frame and that structure and also you know in network television it used to be hey we've got 41 minutes of storytelling um you know and streaming doesn't necessarily care it doesn't have to be hey make sure it's 41 minutes long it could be 50 minutes, it could be an hour, it could be 49 minutes, it doesn't matter. It's how do we tell the best story? And I think that's been something that's been exciting and freeing for TV writers.
0: And then as far as writing those scripts per episode, I've heard that sometimes they'll be written in kind of batches or maybe one to three episodes at a time or in a staggered basis. What was it like when writing Lost in Space? Were you working on just a few episodes at a time? Was everyone working on all the episodes together?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. It really depends on the show. Um, Almost all the shows that I've been on, including Network and Basic Cable and Streaming, have always been all the writers in the room, and we're breaking every episode together. And In particular, in Lost in Space, we'd sort of soft break the whole season, so we'd know this is basically what this episode, this episode's about X, this episode's about Y, and we would know that. The only time you're out of the room is when you're writing your own episode, when you're assigned a specific episode. I think that's the way, unless maybe you're on a hardcore procedural, most television works. So the writers will be in the room, breaking the stories together, first in broad strokes. And once those broads, we kind of like those broad strokes, then we'll go into actual scene work. Hey, here's this scene, and let's build on this scene and this scene. And we know this is kind of how we want to end the story, but how do we get there? And um, when that's done, um, someone will pitch it in the room to the showrunner and run it through. It's almost like story time hour. You know, it's like here's what happens at the beginning of the story. Here's where our characters are and I'm going to pitch you scene by scene as if you were like at a story time session what the episode is going to be. And it involves a little bit of, you know, performance and excitement. It's always more fun to to listen to a pitch that is both passionate and exciting versus, you know, hey, so here's kind of what the story is. And if, you know, I know I'm sort of detouring a little bit, but <laughs> just talk about that really quickly. If you don't feel like you're good at pitching something like I practice, I practice the night before I practice a day before two days before. And I keep going over it in my head so that I'm confident I understand the story. And I know it, I'll write it out by hand. And then I will um, practice it in my head, then I'll practice it out loud in the car, on my way to work, and then I'll pitch it so that it feels like it's a stream of consciousness, even though it's not. I think uh, a friend of mine was always like, Hey, You can really pitch a story. And I was like, oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. (laughs) I practiced well ahead. But I'm just saying that for those people who feel like, oh, I'm not a performer. Oh, I don't do that, but I'm a really good writer. That's okay. You don't have to be a great performer. You can practice in advance. But so once that process of pitching is done and uh, the story is approved and the kinks are sort of worked out, one writer will go away and write the outline. And sometimes, depending on the show, a pitch document, which is like a one to two pager hey, here's the logline of this episode. And in basic frame, here's what the story is. And once that gets approved, then they'll write an outline, which is anywhere between 12 to 18 pages. And that's a really important phase, I think, because you're doing all the heavy lifting there. You're figuring out what works in the story, what doesn't. And by the way, what sounded good in the room, once you get it out of the room and you start writing it, um, I think it's always good to have a good relationship with your showrunner and go back and say, hey, I think that this is not working." I'm kind of concerned about this scene or the sequence. And don't just say I'm concerned about the sequence have like three different fixes. So here's how I would want to approach it. Or are you okay if I try moving this scene before this scene? And once that process is complete, then that writer writes the script. And then depending on the room, I always really appreciated this um, on the last couple shows that I've been on, but, um, and including lost in space is you'll table that script. So you'll sit there and every writer will give you notes. Uh, including the showrunner. And you'll determine with the showrunner, which notes are the most important and which, you know, maybe don't worry about, or absolutely, those must go in. And you do another pass, and then you turn that in again.
0: How long does the process of the entire season take? And at what point does your involvement end? At what point are you able to say, okay, I can sit back and watch this season on Netflix and not really think about it until the next season? Or does it work like that?
1: Yeah, so I would say that it's about six months in the writing room, six to seven months of production. And, you know, depending on how big the show is, for example, The Dark Crystal and definitely Lost in Space, a good six to eight months in post. Other shows that I've been on, whether it's, you know, Limitless or Defiance, you know, those require a little less, they're a little less post heavy. So maybe a shorter turnaround in post-production. And it really depends on the show. A show like Limitless, uh, we saw the whole thing all the way through. And um, that's a really good example of the old model of television where you are in the room, you've broken maybe four episodes, production starts, and so you're quickly trying to lay that train track is what we call it, you know, of scripts. Let's lay the track down for the production train so it can continue moving because you don't want it to stop. And once that happens, you know, you've got... All kinds of different stages of scripts, whether they're being written, pitched out, uh, in post. You know, the stories now have been fully uh, shot, and they're in the edit bay. And you're sitting there with an editor talking about the scene work um, and giving notes, which is a really awesome experience. Um, I would say um, in the newer model, what I I love about the newer model is uh, on streaming is you write the whole season. The whole season is complete, or most of it is complete, before you go off to production. What's nice about that is, as a writer and a storyteller is you can figure out what's working or what's not working or, hey, let's go back and change that thing or, hey, you know that thing that we we came up with that's so cool for a finale? Let's set that up a little bit better in episodes three and four and you can't do that if you've already shot it. So I love that in that model and then it depends on, it depends on both your level in the writer's room in terms of being a producer or not if you're going to be on set to supervise and then it just really depends on if the room's already wrapped and if you're going to be in post or not.
0: When you actually sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, is it like you imagined when you wrote it, or is it different? How would you describe that experience?
1: You know, I think it's interesting. Um, One of my professors uh, in, in film school told me once that, you know, writing is a constant state of evolution. There's the imagining the kernel, the gem of the idea that takes shape in your head, right? And then you write it out on the page and it goes through a series of notes and it becomes its own new thing. And then it becomes a new thing when the actors uh, breathe life into it. And, you know, the crew is working so hard around the clock to make it happen. And then in post, you may even find things, Hey, we don't, this scene that we love so much, we don't need that scene actually slows down the pacing. Let's get rid of it. And so I think it's both a yes. And when I'm watching a, a show that I've been a part of from the beginning to the end, I think there are moments of magic that happen that I didn't even expect like you know an actor will ad lib a line that i think is hilarious or there's this look that someone does that's so amazing and transcends what you wrote and then there are other moments where you'll see something on screen that you wrote verbatim and it's it's really special it's a really cool feeling to see that that actually you know stayed alive through the whole process
0: and what's next for you what's next for Lost in Space uh Dark Crystal what's on the horizon
1: well i hope um you know a lot of things in the pot uh working on getting out some new original material so hopefully that will come out soon and working on potentially uh some new projects starting uh this year and hopefully Lost in Space comes back for another season you know in the next couple months hopefully we'll we'll get a new green light um but definitely super excited that you guys will actually be able to see Dark Crystal Age of Resistance season 1 and Lost in Space season 2 coming out in 2019.
0: Amazing. Before we go to part of the conversation, which I like to call a series of seemingly random questions. Last <laughs> question is, what is one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to the aspiring writers out there?
1: Um, I would say three things. One is read, 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 which I'm sure every other writer you've had on, and I know I've listened to some of your podcasts and they've said the Amazing. same thing. So I'm just going to Steal it. It's really good advice. Yeah. Read. Um, I was reading Um Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders um over the break, and I hadn't read it uh obviously before, and I know it's about a year and a half old, but it's such a good book and it's so magical and so interesting and quirky, and it really sort of opened up my brain to be thinking in new ways about how I tell stories. So I would say read. And number two, write, 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 write. You know, the only way you're gonna get better as a writer is if you write. Um and then three, also, um In all your copious amounts of extra time that we don't have as writers, get out there and experience some life. I think that um, whether it's travel or being a part of an organization that gives back or putting yourself in a situation you wouldn't normally be in, I think it's really important to live life and meet other people with other worldviews because it constantly informs how you are creating.
0: Amazing. Um, I think it's seemingly random question time. I was just thinking we need a sound effect for that when it comes on, like. You know, an alert to know it's time for the oh, for the <laughs> Are you okay with us using that sound bit for every episode moving forward? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love that though. Okay, um, I hate that. <laughs> first question. This one is tailored to you. In your Twitter bio, you describe yourself as a professional procrastinator. What does that mean? Do you struggle with writer's block? What are the remedies? And going back to full circle to what you described earlier with the piano practice. Would you say there's a, a connection to not really wanting to practice and procrastinating writing?
1: Oh, well done. Well done. Way to bring that back, that plant and that payoff. I like that. <laughs> uh, yes, I would say so. I would say uh, I am a professional. I'm, I'm moving past my professional procrastination, but I'm really good at you know cleaning out my fridge or raking leaves or, you know, oh, got to take those dogs on the walk, right? Um And I think procrastination really comes from a place of fear. You know, that blank page is always scary because you feel like, oh, what if you're always, someone told me once, you're always as good as your last, you know, best material. And that's a terrible thing to say because the truth is you just got to do it. And so I think um, my advice to myself and to everyone else is just jump into the deep end, man. Like, go in there and just write. And it's not going to be amazing the first time. And if it is, bravo to you. Very few of my scripts from page... you know I've never turned in my first draft. I'll put it that way. I've turned in my third or fourth draft because things keep changing and moving and you find the magic in the scene work. And I think a lot of times if you just do it, uh, when I get to it early in the morning, instead of procrastinating... I actually feel really good about the work I've done. And the more, the longer you wait, you know, the harder it
0: is to jump in. Number two, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer and which restaurant would you choose and why?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Can I take more than one? Absolutely. Then I would take Tolkien, I think maybe George Orwell, Margaret Atwood and like hang out with them at this place that I like in Culver City that used to exist. I don't know if it does anymore called Sofra Kebab, where you just want to like stick an IV of hummus in your vein. It's so good.
0: That sounds good. (laughs) That's what we're getting after this episode, (laughs) writing that down. All right, next question. Is the life of a professional writer glamorous?
1: No. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I will say for a professional TV writer, sometimes I think we forget you know, that someone is bringing lunch to us every day, which is pretty awesome that you get a lunch while you're working. And, you know, if you look over your writer's room, and you see a bunch of scribbles up on the wall, and post-it notes, you know, in all these different colors that signify different story or plot lines, it's a really magical place when it's awesome. It's so awesome. But it's a lot of hard work. And there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that go into good uh, storytelling for television.
0: But so no, not glamorous. Not, <laughs> not glamorous. glamorous. You heard it here. Number four, other than the shows you've worked on, what is your favorite uh, sci-fi piece of content?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I love Battlestar Galactica so much. It really is the show that made me want to become a television writer. I'd never seen, you know, it's not totally true, but the way that they developed uh, rich, rich characters with just such strong worldviews, I-, I was just really blown away.
0: Number five, what is one thing about your life or your career that nobody knows?
1: Um, that nobody knows? Wow. Um, well, my career, I would, I would love to write a um, novel series before I die. So I will and have been listening to your podcast episodes on how to write novels.
0: <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, have they helped?
1: Yeah. You know, it's super helpful. I think just understanding like how to go about representation and um, getting out there to whether it's comic-con or other um, exposés for uh, that world, like the science fiction world and fantasy world. Like it's important to get yourself out there once you actually have the material. I thought
0: that was super helpful. Awesome. The last question is the most important question and it's actually, it's the most challenging brace yourself. Did you have fun on today's podcast?
1: Uh, I had so much fun. Thank you, you guys. Amazing. This is awesome.
0: It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for, again, taking the time. I know we've been talking about this for a little while now. And uh, was there anything you else you wanted to shout out? I know you talked briefly about what's on the horizon, but did you want to plug anything or your Twitter handle?
1: Definitely plugging uh, The Dark Crystal and Lost in Space Season 2. You can always catch my ramblings and or Texts and emails about animal activism, because I'm a super animal lover, at KDS Drake.
0: That's my Twitter handle. Last bonus question. Did you have a question for us?
1: That's a that's a good one. Um. <laughs> for Ann Harry, what uh, is something else that you want to know about either Lost in Space or television writing that I have not fully answered?
0: What is something about television writing or Lost in Space that we haven't already found out that we want to know? Looking at Harry. We're thinking about it. We're deliberating. We're in the writer's experience writer's room right now. Um, (laughs) Who is your favorite character to write for?
1: Oh, Oh, that's a really good one. Um, I would say Deet on the dark crystal. And I would say on lost in space. Um, I don't know. It's so hard. All of them. I know that's a like, whip out answer was there a character but,
0: you felt most invested in that like maybe you felt especially connected to
1: you know i really maureen is like my superhero like if i could be like her someday that would be <laughs> tops <laughs> um you know maureen and i don't know I, I love john and i love the kids so i would say i really enjoy writing for all of those guys um maybe will too just the wonder and the awe and the, the sense that like magic still exists you know he's still that age that's that's kind of like a fun and max you know all the actors are so great so they all do such a great job so yeah that's my answer
0: uh well thank you carrie appreciate you taking the time to school us on television writing bearing with some of our random questions here and overall just having fun it was a pleasure
1: oh thanks guys i appreciate it thanks so much for the podcast
0: thank you and uh thank you to our listeners we hope to see you next week Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin MacLeod.